Though it rebounded some today, yesterday the stock market lost 3.3% of its value. We'll talk with an expert about what's going on. Should the Discovery Channel cancel its so-called documentary claiming the coffin of Jesus has been found? Our guest says yes. And a Florida legislator is calling for the term illegal alien to be outlawed. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I've never doubted uh, that there was a historical Jesus, that he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but the simple fact is that there's never been a shred of physical, archaeological evidence to support that fact until, until right now. That's James Cameron, director of Titanic claiming he's found some of the bones of Jesus. Is that claim valid? Is it pseudoscience? And does it undercut the Christian faith? The Media Research Center says the upcoming Discovery Channel documentary is this year's Easter season slam on Christianity, and they're calling for this so-called documentary to be canceled, saying it's not science. We'll discuss it with them later in the show. And I think Cameron Pinna owes Christianity an apology. I think he does, but I think we're going to be waiting a long time for that. Well, yesterday, uh, Dr. Johnson, the stock market lost 3.3% of its value. Now, there's been some rebound today, but the question is, should we be alarmed? How should Christians look at this, and what lessons are there for our economic policy and also for our ties to the Chinese economy? I'm going to talk to a, to a local expert about the market. But first, should the term illegal alien be banned from official government documents? The Florida legislature has introduced a bill that does just that, so we're going to have an illegal alien update. Let's get the music going. Let's ask you to call at 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. Let's get ready with this music. This may not be the president's intent, but the net result of what he said is he's issued a Two-word Texas colloquialism south of the border. Illegal aliens, y'all come. There's the economic impact of massive immigration, both legal and illegal, but especially illegal immigration, where you've got the the cost of educating children to people who are here illegally. You have the cost of providing medical care to people who are here illegally. You have the cost of incarcerating people who have broken the law. 27% of the are non-citizens, and 90% of those are illegal aliens. Illegal aliens. Did you hear that? That was Congressman. 
Tom Tancredo using the word illegal aliens. Should that slogan, should that phrase be outlawed, Penna? Tell us about this story today, Penna. We want our callers to weigh in on this. Well, Florida State Legislator Frederica Wilson from Miami says that an alien to me is someone from out of space. I think she meant outer space. But uh, in her district, uh, which is home to thousands of Caribbean immigrants, she feels like the term illegal alien uh, is the wrong term to be using. And she's actually introduced a bill that would ban the use of this term in the state of Florida's official documents. Now, she says that she actually has encountered the problem uh, with this situation when trying to pass a bill allowing children of foreigners to get in-state tuition. I think she means children of a legals. Uh, and she says she doesn't really mind. She hates the, the term alien, uh, but she doesn't mind the term illegal as much. She says she can live with it, but she likes undocumented better. I think it's political correctness run amok. All right. The Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights talk about the freedoms we have. The freedom of speech is uh, is this speech that Congressman Tom Tancredo uses Hate speech, should it be illegal? Should illegal alien be illegal? (laughs) That's a (laughs) phrase. That's what we're talking about. Call us at 800-881-9270. And what should be the Christian worldview about referring to folks who are illegal and who are not citizens in this country? How uh, How does the Scripture inform us? to that category of person. We've got Stan on the line from Fisco. We're waiting for your call as well. Give us a call. Stan, what do you think about this? Well, I think they should call illegal aliens what they truly are. They're criminals. Let's just place the word is. You know, the word alien doesn't mean criminal. It, it just means foreigner. So, so the word alien refers to the fact that they're uh, not a Native American, mm-hmm. they're not a citizen, they're not here legally, or they're not here... Um, lawfully and illegal refers to the fact that they don't have a visa they don't have a work permit they're not a citizen they've sneaked across and uh, they're in violation of the law so stan what's wrong with that phrase you say nothing then don't you well i I said like i said i think they're just criminals it's illegal there's processes to do the way they should do it and uh, they don't choose to do it that way all right thanks stan folks we want you to call in on this the number is 800 881-9270, 800-881-9270. 881-9270, 800-881-9270. And we've got Teresa on the line from Arlington. Teresa, thank you so much for calling. How do you see this banning of the phrase illegal alien? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't think that we should really be wasting the court's time with this. I think this is so ridiculous that we are actually using taxpayer money to um, deal with this issue, I mean, that is just ridiculous. Exactly what the man that just called in said, you know, illegal alien, I think we have plenty of, of other issues that need to be worked on besides this. Hey, thanks, Teresa. Um, Penna, what do you think about this? Well, I think it's uh, it's not the courts, though. This is the Florida legislature that's dealing with this. But uh, this is kind of interesting because there is a new governor there in Florida who's uh, uh, succeeding Governor Jeb Bush. He is Charlie Crist, uh, and he's got a, sort of a plan about plain speaking in government. He wants everybody to say it like it is. And so uh, this legislator was asked if her bill... 
might run afoul of that plan for plain speaking. It's sort of a mandate. He wants everybody to define define their terms and uh, kind of not dance around issues. And she says, no, I think getting rid of alien would be plain speaking. Well, you know, the word alien is a word that has been used in classic and formal legal language about all sorts of mm-hmm. issues. But the word alien has not uh, been derogatory, I guess, until folks maybe started thinking about it in a sci-fi sort of a way. But um, we've got Kathy on the line from Austin. Kathy, how do you see this ban on the phrase illegal alien? I think that it's a silly idea. And I prefer much what state senator from Texas, Dan Patrick, is trying to do, which is make illegal illegal. Because right now we are making special places in our law in Texas in order to accommodate those who are illegal in our education system, in our health care system. Even uh, there are attempts to have um, the ability for some of those illegal aliens to be able to vote because their children are in our schools legally, according to a federal uh, uh, decision by our U.S. Supreme Court. And so they think that the parents should be able to vote in school board elections. And so I think that what... uh, is happening in Florida is a precursor and that it should be stopped there so it doesn't spread to Texas. Hey, thanks a lot, Kathy. You know, Penna, there's an old uh, debating trick, secret. Whoever controls the dictionary controls the debate. And I think those who support illegal immigration, those who want amnesty, they know that if we use the phrase illegal, that the debate is pretty much 90% over because uh, any other scheme, any other wait list, any other return, any other amnesty, any other kind of um, guest worker program, if you use the word illegal to talk about the people who are here without permission of the government uh, unlawfully, it immediately um, tips the debate in the favor of them going back and getting things straight before they come across to get a permit or to get uh, a job or to get in line. And I think that's the point that Tan Tancredo wants to make. It's the point that J.D. Hayworth wanted to make uh, using that phrase. When we say they're here illegally, the first step must be they go back, we secure the border, then we talk about the flow and uh, the work that they could possibly do as guest workers. We've got... Sonia on the line, actually Mary on the line from Fort Worth. Mary, what do you think about this idea? Well, I would just like to make a comment what you spoke earlier about what's our responsibility um, concerning in the Bible, how we should treat our aliens. And I think that we should treat them individually very, very nicely and kindly and be kind to them. But I think that, um, as Penna said, it's just ridiculous not to call it as it is. They're illegal aliens. They're here illegally, and um, I just think it's ridiculous. You know, we've talked about amnesty, and when you grant amnesty, you're basically forgiving something. So and you're acknowledging, yes. Right, you're illegal. acknowledging it. So our policy needs to acknowledge what is, and that is that these people are here illegally. And then we go from there, and we make a policy. Now, there's going to be a big debate on what that policy should be, but I think those who want a sane policy and want to uh, stick with the rule of law in this country ought to stand very firm about what the terminology is, because it is very important. All right, folks, there's a proposal in Florida that the phrase illegal alien be illegal, that that speech be banned. What do you think of that? We've got Mary on the line from Fort Worth. Mary, Mary, how do you see this? I'm fine. 
And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of women call today, Mary, and they've been pretty strong on this issue. What's your view? Well, I just, as I said earlier, I feel like that we should treat the individual aliens, illegal aliens, very nicely, kindly on an individual basis and try to help them as much as we can. But I also feel like that we should use the term illegal alien. That's what they're here for. They're here illegally. Hey, thanks, Mary. Thanks so much. Let's go to the next caller, Sonia on the line from Louisville. So far, it's 100% against this proposal. Sonia, what do you make of this? The first thing that came to my mind it was the best way they could think of to avoid anything important to solve. Mm. Instead of it's important to them. The real issues, they want to get nitpicky. So decriminalize crime. And, folks, I think this raises a broader question, and that is we're going to talk later about the freedom of religion on this show. Do religious people have the same freedoms that secular people have to do social work? We're going to be talking about the great debate at the Supreme Court about faith-based initiatives. But here's another fundamental freedom in the Bill of Rights, the freedom of speech. Are we going to ban words? We talk about hate speech. Well, that's the banning of words, I think. And even though I'm not for hate speech, I think it's sinful. I think our Constitution actually protects certain forms of hate speech, even though it may be odious, even though we don't like it. And I think, I think certainly now this is an extreme. Illegal aliens, an illegal phrase, an illegal term. We've got Emma on the line from Arlington. Emma, how do you see this? Well, I um, have a different opinion from the other callers. Um, I came to this country with a visa. And at some point, my visa expired, and at that point, I became illegal, and I have no problem being called illegal because that's what it was. But I frown at being called an alien. I think foreigners will express the same feeling without being um, antagonistic. With regards to banning words, I'm a black woman, and I don't like being called nigger, and I think it's, it's not nice to call people like that. So, Well, this isn't the equivalent of the... In word, I think the same message without being um, antagonistic or uh, I hate you. Hey, what word would you substitute? I do it in a more friendly way and still get the point across. If we're legal, we're legal. But alien is a bit strong. I think alien is uh, something that lives. So it's the term right. alien. That's but what word most would offensive. you substitute? Illegal I'm immigrant. Foreigner. Foreigner. I'm a foreigner. Oh, I was uh, a foreigner. If I'm not an, an, an American citizen, I'm a foreigner. That's the way they address. We address foreigners where I come from. Okay. Thank you so much, Emma. We're about out of time on this break, and I wish we had more time to discuss it. So she has an issue with the the phrase alien, probably not so much as the word mm -hmm. illegal, illegal immigrant. We use that word sometimes here, also illegal alien. That's a technical word. It's a legal word. We'll stay on this issue, and we'll wrap up later today on the theology of it. A legacy of equipping believers, training leaders to be effective in their walk with Christ. The Heritage continues at the Criswell College in Dallas, and you can see it firsthand. Thursday, March 1st, come to Preview Day and learn how an education at the Criswell College will prepare you for a future of ministry and a lifetime of service. The Criswell College will grow you spiritually and academically and focus your Christian worldview. Come meet the professors, have lunch, and pick from a list of classes to observe firsthand and ask any questions you may have. Your reservation is waiting for Preview Day, March 1st. Call 800-899-0012. That's 800-899-0012. And you'll find more details on the web at criswell.edu. 
Take advantage and see the worldwide opportunities that Criswell College can afford you as a full-time student or with classes to round out a biblically-based education. Call 800-899-0012 and reserve your place at Preview Day at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. What happened to your mutual fund yesterday? What happened to your stocks? What happened to your retirement plan? The market dropped 410 points yesterday. We're going right now to a report from the Federal Reserve. Ben Bernanke spoke about Yesterday, today, we're going to talk to a local expert next. Here's a report from Washington. Appearing before the House Budget Committee, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke said that despite the massive 416-point plunge by the Dow Industrials, the markets seemed to be working well. He also said that while there didn't seem to be any one trigger for the slide, he doesn't want to speculate on the cause. I don't think it would be useful for me to try to parse the movement uh, into the components associated with different pieces of news or, or pieces of information. Bernanke told lawmakers there's been no major change in the outlook for the economy, but the Fed expects moderate growth this year. James Limbach, Washington. All right, folks, let's talk about what happened to your money yesterday and today and why it happened. Are we too tied to China's economy, or is this about Greenspan using the word recession in a recent speech? With us to talk about it is Don Hodges. He leads the Hodges Fund and First Dallas Securities here in the city. He was featured on the cover of Smart Money magazine last year, the top fund of its kind in the United States, featured by Smart Money Management, the Wall Street Journal magazine. Don, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jerry. Delighted to be here. All right, Don, tell us what happened yesterday, what happened today, and why. I think um, there could be a lot of conjecture, and everybody's going to give you a, a different reason, a different take on it. Excuse me just a minute. But from my vantage point, uh, and I certainly have no, uh, uh, have no wire to the source of all information on this, <laughs> but... From my vantage point, the market had been going up for quite a period of time, and the market is is structured so that it occasionally needs to react, to adjust. Uh, stocks go up to a price at which the sellers start to dominate, and you have more sell orders than you have buy orders, and then it goes down. It reaches a point where suddenly there are more buy orders than there are sell orders, so it starts going back up. And I think we had reached a point where we needed a little bit of a setback and needed an excuse for the, for the market to take a little hit. Well, that excuse came, first of all, with uh, Greenspan's comments overseas and then the big decline in the Chinese market, which had become very, very frothy. It spread to Europe. The European markets were down. And I think it was only natural that it affect the United States. We began to have a sell-off in the morning, and at one time it was off a couple of hundred points, and that wasn't of anything of any significance. But then all of a sudden, the machinery, the computers, <laughs> developed some glitches. And it was responsible for the additional decline, I think, that accelerated and actually got a little bit out of control. 
there's a practice that goes on today called program trading, mm. where institutions will sell a whole basket of stocks, meaning there are 25 stocks they go in and sell all at once, with the idea that they're going to go down, and when they go down, they'll buy them back and they make a little bit of a spread. It's sort of a trading device, and 50% of the volume on the New York Stock Exchange right now is represented by program trading. It has nothing at all to do what that stock will be worth in a month from now or six months from now or two years from now. It's just a a system that has developed over time where there, there are traders in the market trying to grab a little bitty a small advantages, maybe a dollar a share or something like that, and they do it enough times that it makes them some money. And that thing went awry. A domino effect of some kind. It, it went awry, and the computers misfunctioned, and all of a sudden we were down 500 points. To put that in perspective, though, that was only 3.3%. Mm. Go back to 1987, yes. when we had the big decline then, mm -hmm. it went down 23% mm -hmm. in one day. Mm -hmm. So in, in 87, um, maybe I said 97, in 87, we had a 23% decline in one day. Yesterday, we had a 3.3% decline. They were both 500-point declines, but 500 points at the level the Dow is today is not that very big of a percentage. So putting that percentage in there gives you some perspective. It this gives is... you some perspective, and the press overlooks that, and, of course, they make it dramatic and make it sound worse than it really is. So I don't know. We were up 52 points today, which is no great shakes, but I think that it set a wave of fear that it's going to take a little while to overcome, but I think we will overcome it. This is just one opinion, and I sort of look at it as a... Uh, a normal thing that occurred under some uh, very unusual circumstances. And your counsel then to the normal investor is take the long look, be patient, don't panic, I suppose. Absolutely. Is that right? Panicking generally always is the worst thing you can do. Uh, you go back to 87 and all the other big declines. People who sold out of those declines regretted it within, within a very short period mm -hmm. of time. And even going back just a few years ago in 2002, the market had a terrible year. The year it turned around, 2003, the the Dow was up 30, 34, 35 percent, or 35 points. Stay with it. Stay with the plan. Okay. Yes. Don Hodges, the Hodges Fund, First Dallas Securities. And let me also mention he's a trustee of Criswell College. I need to say that for disclosure. But I want to say that is a great place to put your plan and put your money. Thank you, Don, for being with us on the program. Crystal College is a great place, too. <laughs> hey, thanks, Don. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Okay. All right, folks. We've got um, a battle going on at the Supreme Court. Tell us about it, Pena. Well, you know, I guess the question is who handles social ills better, government or church? That's really what the debate is all about. But three atheist groups are challenging President Bush's faith-based initiative, uh, and the case was actually heard at the Supreme Court today. One of those groups is Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Why are we not surprised? And the Reverend Barry Lynn, who heads up that organization, says that religious charities should neither seek nor receive taxpayer funding. 
I want to see politicians who find religious supplicants at the trough of the president's faith-based initiative suggesting in the alternative that ministries and missions be funded by voluntary supporters digging deeper into their own pockets rather than asking Uncle Sam to dig into other people's. Hey, I want to interject here. I just can't let that go. That statement go unchallenged. We had an expert on here two weeks ago who had documented the fact that conservatives, conservatives, the very people he's criticizing, Christians, are giving more than the secularists. Arthur Brooks. Out of their own money. Mm -hmm. And so Brooks' research shows that exactly that is the case. Christians are giving more. Well, we'll talk about it more. Well, all they're asking for under this initiative is an equal chance at government money to do these things. Now, another one of the groups uh, that's filing the suit is the Freedom From Religion Foundation and also People for the American Way. And Judith Schaefer from People for the American Way says that uh, the organization opposes this faith-based initiative. The case epitomizes the culture clash between those of us who believe that genuine religious liberty comes only from government neutrality toward religion and others who would trample on the separation of church and state. Now, the particular court case today was about standing. It was about whether or not the court can even look at this idea of a faith-based initiative. So they're ask, answering the question, can these, uh, these groups even sue uh, with regard to this, well, you know, why, how, how does it hurt them? So do they have standing to sue? Now, Jay Sekulow uh, with the American Center for Law and Justice filed a brief, and he was there at the Supreme Court, and he said he's hopeful that the high court is going to overturn a lower court ruling, that's the Seventh Circuit, that actually allowed the atheists to pursue the lawsuit. I think it was pretty clear that the court got the impact of where this decision would go and was looking askance on this whole idea of an open-ended free-for-all in federal litigation on the religion clause. I think they may draw that to closure. And, of course, Jay Sekulow says that atheists and agnostics have, uh, agnostics have really gotten a free pass in federal courts to bring lawsuits like this. My position is that the, this whole issue of whether these groups have the right to get in the court in the first place is hugely significant because in no other area of the law can you just file a lawsuit simply because you disagree with something. You know, we need to continue the discussion uh, of this later, but uh, Seculo also said that at least one Supreme Court justice today seemed to question whether the Freedom from Religion Foundation's position might be just a little bit too far-reaching. I think that uh, the, the real impact of the case was clearly understood by the court. You know, Penna, I'm generally against the government doing the church's do- job. That is, government social programs. They generally don't work, and I'm I'm, for the most part, against the government throwing money back in local towns and and doing a lot of social work. Uh, I think that's not good stewardship. But if the government is going to make the mistake of doing that, they should not discriminate against funneling some of those funds through faith-based groups that do good social work. Those are the programs that usually work the best. Because uh, they're going to give it to secular groups. And by the way, those secular groups have an agenda. They have an agenda when it comes to birth control or sex education and so forth. So why not allow faith-based groups to uh, distribute some of that money? And we saw after Katrina the most effective groups on the scene. I remember President Bush going down and and giving uh, a minister down there millions of dollars more or less to distribute because they were doing the work and doing it more effectively Uh, We'll talk to or hear from Pastor Tony Evans, Mm -hmm. local pastor, later in the program. We'll pick up this topic. When we come back, though, James Cameron, 
Director of the movie Titanic says he's discovered the coffin of Jesus, the casket of Jesus, and that casket had remains of bone shards. He's checked the DNA. He claims he can prove this is Jesus. Is this scientific? Is it forensic evidence? Or is it bogus? Does it threaten the Christian faith? Should Discovery Channel take this off the air? How should Christians respond? We'll talk about it when we come right back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. It celebrates the real life existence of these people, this man who 2,000 years ago um, had, had, a, had a vision and communicated it to people and in a viral way it spread, it spread around the world. Well, that sounds like a compliment. James Cameron talking about Jesus, talking about his claim that up until now we've had no physical evidence on the existence of Jesus, defending his documentary which is going to say that they have tested the physical remains of Jesus, DNA testing. What do you think about it? With us to talk about it, Brian Fitzpatrick. He's senior editor of the Media Research Council's Culture and Media Institute. Brian, your organization is calling on Discovery to take this broadcast off the air. Is that true? Oh, that's absolutely right. We think that this is a misleading, uh, deceptive, and uh, simply a stunt which ought not to be uh, pursued anymore. Discovery Channel says that they are a nonfiction channel and they uh, they produce facts, but this has already been discredited by so many scholars that there's just no rational grounds for them to keep it on the air. Brian, let's go to the facts because Cameron uses word like words like forensic, DNA archaeology uses the big words he piles them up and it's so intimidating to the average layman they think oh whoa this guy must have it he must have the goods uh tell us the flaws i tell you they have only tested two uh, the dna from two of the 10 ossuaries that were found in this tomb they determined that the the dna from those two people were not uh, uh not related by blood so then they concluded that those two people must have been married they're assuming that it was a family tomb. They don't know that it was a family tomb. They don't know if anybody else uh, in this tomb was related to any of the other people. Uh, so there's just no grounds to say that just because two of the, uh, uh, two of the remains were not uh, related to each other means that they had to have been married. It's just ridiculous. And they have not gone about the, the business of testing the other DNA uh, from the other tombs yet. They probably didn't have time because they needed to get this out before Easter. But, Brian, this is Penna Dexter. And, you know, how did they get away with saying in advertising this that the probability factor that this all this is true is 600 to 1 in favor of this tomb being Jesus' tomb? How did they even get away with something like that? Well, they can uh, get away with it if they're bold enough to state it and people don't call them on it. Uh, so that's what you're doing. There, there are many people who have called them on this already. Uh, uh, many scholars are simply rejecting this statistical analysis as foolish. They're pointing out that these are the most common names that were found in Jerusalem at the time. Uh, uh, Jesus was an extremely common name. Mary was the name of a, a quarter of the women in Jerusalem. A quarter of the women. Yeah. 
<laughs> a quarter of the women were Marys. Uh, uh, Jesus was extremely common. Joseph was extremely common. Um, Matthew was extremely common. So those are the names of the people they found uh, marked in the ossuaries in this tomb. An ossuary, by the way, is a container for bones. So it's a, a pretty much like a coffin nowadays. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Brian Fitzpatrick. He's senior editor at the Media Research Council. We're talking about James Cameron, director of the movie Titanic. He's claiming that he has recovered the casket, the coffin of Jesus and Mary and their children, so-called. He has forensic evidence, he says. He has the remains of bones and bone fragments and uh, DNA. And, of course, when someone uses the word DNA today, that's so convincing to the average person out there. What do you think, folks, about this show set to air this weekend on Discovery? The number is 800-881-9270. Give us a call, 800-881-9270. I'm calling on Cameron to apologize to the Christian community. Media Research Council is saying, hey, they need to take this thing off the air. We've got Brian Fitzpatrick on from Media Research Council. Brian, I want you to listen to one of the Cameron quotes. He's saying they're being even-handed. I want you to respond to this. He gives a lot of time to, to the alternative opinions, to the dissenting voices, much more so, I would say, than most documentary films. If you watch An Inconvenient Truth, they're not giving, and, and I love that, <laughs> I love that film, but they're not giving a lot of airplay to, to oil lobbyists in that film. All right, Brian, uh, he's claiming a kind of neutrality, a kind of fairness. Uh, we're not for repression of free speech. Our academic uh, freedom is a value we, we would hold to. Uh, what's your beef with this being on the air? Well, my beef is that they haven't done their homework. <laughs> uh, what they've done is a DNA test on two of ten ossuaries found in a tomb, discovered that these two have the names uh, Mary Amene, which is uh, Mary, uh, not Mary Magdalene, but Mary Amene means Mary, the one who is the boss or the master. Um, and one that says Jesus, son of Joseph, they discovered that those two people were not related by uh, blood, so they assume that they're married. Um, they need to do DNA analysis of all of the bones that they found in the ossuary to determine whether this was even a family tomb in the first place, and then they can go and try and figure out who's attached to whom and who's married and who's blood relatives. At this point, Mary Amene could have been married to any of the males uh, remains in this uh, tomb. There has been at least five, or five, sorry, four male remains that have been identified, and uh, we don't know which one she was married to. Hey, we Brian, I gotta, I gotta interject here and ask one other question. Yeah. You know, you guys are all about fairness at the Media Research Center, and I want to ask you if Christians um, put together something on Muhammad. Uh, the fact that Muhammad um, married minors, that he was a polygamist, that he was very violent, that he was a murderer, that he was a thief, all of which, by the way, could be documented historically. Do you think Discovery Channel would run something on that? Uh, no, I don't think so. Discovery Channel and, uh, well, Hollywood in, in general has a long history of running documentaries that question the fundamentals of the Christian faith at Christmas time and at Easter.
Uh, so, this is just the latest in what we're calling the Easter hit parade. You know, Brian, we looked at uh, the da- uh, the Da Vinci Code, basically, movie came out about this time last year. In a sense, it was the same agenda. But, you know, I know that people are starting to get upset about this because we're starting to get phone calls from some of them, actually, here on the show. But uh, what should people that care uh, do about this at this point? How can they contact Discovery? Oh, it's, uh, I do not uh, know how, off the top of my head how to contact the Discovery Channel, but it's easily looked up on the Internet. So they, but they should call or write the Discovery Channel? I would rather see people write their local newspapers and their local uh, uh, television news stations mm. and challenge the way that this uh, event is being covered. Uh, let people know that this simply isn't the truth. I tell you, this is one of the weakest attacks on uh, a doctrine of the Christian faith that I've ever personally seen. I'm happy that it's happened because it's like someone's lobbying. It's a great big grapefruit to knock out of the park. Well, we're going to knock it out, Brian. We appreciate your help. Brian Fitzpatrick, Media Research Center, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. All right, folks, you've been calling in. We've got Jim on the line from Fort Worth. Jim, how do you see this story and this I'd just like to know how they got God back down here to get DNA off of him. <laughs> well, that's true, Jim. You know, when we hear DNA today used in the court for evidence, what everyone is assuming in the background is that you've matched someone's DNA with a previous sample of their DNA. And so when Cameron says we've got DNA evidence, everyone is thinking that, when actually yeah. all they've shown is that some of the remains have DNA in one casket, that don't match the DNA and another casket. How you can make that to be Jesus and Mary, to me, is incredulous. Well, you can go out to the cemetery and match people all around you. <laughs> That's match. right. You, you, you know, can Lorraine, do that. You know, I, I was born in a very strong religious family. And, uh, you know, I won't say we're religion, but I just, it mind bothers me how people can come up with stuff nowadays, you know. To, uh, I just, like, I, I wouldn't want to be there whenever, you know, when his time comes to meet the good Lord. Hey, thanks so much, Jim. We've got Sherry on the line from Farmer's Branch. Sherry, what do you think about this? Well, my question for this bozo, because that's exactly what he is, is if he does the DNA on these bones, what is he comparing it to to prove it's Jesus? Because don't you have to have something to compare it to to show who it is? That's a very good point, and he doesn't have anything to compare it to. All he's saying is that DNA is different from a DNA in another casket in the same tomb from someone that they think was named Mary, and that proves that these two were married because they're not related by DNA. And that's all it's saying. But, you know, when you look at James Cameron, Dr. Johnson, um, he thinks he's doing the Christian community some sort of favor, at least that's what he says, by calling Jesus some sort of a visionary person that has a viral message. Historical figure. Right. But he's not, because what he's doing, by implication, is disproving the resurrection. Claiming to support the humanity of Christ, the existence of Christ, He's actually sacrificing the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the vitality of the Christian faith. If there are bone remains of Jesus anywhere on this earth, the Christian faith has just been discredited. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain, you are yet in your sin. We've got Susie on the line from San Angelo. Susie, how do you see this development? I'm just... uh seeing it as a point of a sensationalism type issue here at another holiday, Christian holiday that's observed, and I just hope people will not play into that and read into or read in between the lines, like taking a scripture out of context, and just not watch it 
and just take a stand and do get on the internet and contact Discovery and, and voice an opinion in a Christian manner. Okay, thanks, Susie. We're about out of time here, folks. Uh, we've got some callers on the line. We might take more of those when we come back. The number is 800-881-9270. We've got another, uh, more new stories. Al Gore's personal energy use. More on Cameron and his claim to have discovered the coffin, the casket of Jesus Christ. And we're really going to talk about what's at stake when we come back because I heard someone talk about Paula Zahn and Cameron yesterday morning and how convincing it sounded in that interview. And what's at stake here? Would this be the end of Christianity if someone really did discover bones or the body or bone fragments of Jesus? We're going to talk about that question, the importance of the resurrection, not just at Easter, but for the entire Christian faith. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back. A legacy of equipping believers, training leaders to be effective in their walk with Christ. The Heritage continues at the Criswell College in Dallas, and you can see it firsthand. Thursday, March 1st, come to Preview Day and learn how an education at the Criswell College will prepare you for a future of ministry and a lifetime of service. The Criswell College will grow you spiritually and academically and focus your Christian worldview. Come meet the professors, have lunch, and pick from a list of classes to observe firsthand and ask any questions you may have. Your reservation is waiting for Preview Day, March 1st. Call 800-899-0012. That's 800-899-0012. And you'll find more details on the web at criswell.edu. Take advantage and see the worldwide opportunities that Criswell College can afford you as a full-time student or with classes to round out a biblically-based education. Call 800-899-0012 and reserve your place at Preview Day at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. I've remained over the two years of this project very, very excited throughout it. There's, there's a definite sense that you have to pinch yourself that what you're doing, that the email that you just wrote is real. That's James Cameron. He could not raise the Titanic. He wants to keep Jesus down, evidently, in that grave, too, <laughs> because he's saying he found the bones, remains of the bones of Jesus. And he's pretending that he's supporting Christianity. But in fact, if you have no resurrection, you have no Christianity. What do you think about this, folks? It's going to be on the Discovery Channel this weekend. Should we ask Discovery to take it off the air? Should Cameron apologize to the Christian community? Would he do this to Muslims, to Hindus, to Buddhists? I don't think he would. I don't think Discovery would do that either. We've got Bob on the line from Terrell. Bob, I don't think you're going to like this, do you, Bob? No, I don't, Dr. Johnson. And I think uh, you talked about Muhammad. You know, it's amazing to me that... Um, I'm so glad that you had your guest, Jim Merck, and uh, his book, Islam Rising, because it has really uh, been a gift to me that um, while Muhammad was doing his recitations for the people to write in the Koran, it was when he was having epileptic seizures. How can you make sense when you're having epileptic seizures and when you're talking about anything? You're right, Bob. I think if we contrast and compare Jesus and Muhammad... Jesus certainly comes out on top. 
every time. And the Bible comes out on top of the Quran, and I think part of what this does, it, it refutes so much that's in the scriptures. And, you know, what we know about Jesus, uh, if uh, James Cameron has read the Bible, he should know that what he's doing in this documentary is basically refuting the Word of God and he's the Bible. He's attempting to refute or it. Attempting, it's it's attempting undercutting. To it's undermining. So. Absolutely. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Martha in Fort Worth. Hi, Martha. Oh, hello. I just had a comment. Um, this fellow that's doing this documentary, has anyone told him that Jesus' body was also resurrected? Which means there are no bones. <laughs> Duh. I think you're right, Martha, and this is a very important point. I remember years ago in Denver, they used to have a sunrise service, and one of the local ministers, a liberal sort of a minister, got up and said, you know, it's not so important that... Uh, Jesus, the tomb was empty, or that his body was actually risen. He was risen in the hearts of the disciples. He was risen in the faith of the church. That is not resurrection, though, folks. That is not Easter. The Christian message of resurrection is not about a spiritual appearance of Jesus or a ghostly appearance of Jesus or an inner experience with Jesus. The Christian doctrine of resurrection is about one thing only. It is about the body. It is about the flesh. It is about the bones. It's about the physical. Resurrection is about the physical. I know we sing that old Baptist song, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Well, I'm not against that song, but that's really not about the resurrection. That's about something else. We should sing, Up from the Grave He Arose, that old uh, hymn. And uh, Christ the Lord is risen today. Uh, We know that the tomb is empty. That's the whole point of Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've got James on the line. James, how do you see this? Well, sir, uh, I'm a street evangelist, and uh, what I have found is that there are so many people that claim to be Christians nowadays that don't know what they believe that I think something like this could even make it more difficult for us as, as Christians to reach out to those that are either struggling with their faith, that don't know what they believe, or even those that are just looking for answers. I, I really believe that this could be detrimental to us. Hey, James, you know, I think there is a street uh, myth out there, an urban legend that Christianity is unscientific and against the facts, and you've got to take a leap of faith in spite of the evidence. And Cameron's PR campaign plays right into that unless we expose it for what it is. And we really ought to ask Discovery to take it off the air. We ought to ask Cameron to apologize because they're not being fair. They're using these big scientific words when actually he does not have DNA evidence that Jesus was ever in that box ever in that casket. You know, uh, as we have mentioned, this this type of attack on our faith comes out every year at Easter, and Easter is all about the resurrection. It's really my favorite time of year because this is this is where our hope is. And you know, and in 1 Corinthians, it says that if Christ has not been um, raised, then our preaching is in vain. And so it's, it's, it's so clear to me that this is a blatant attack and that he's trying to sort of dance around it. Uh, we have another call. Let's go to uh, Charlene in Allen, Texas. Hi, Charlene. Hi. I wanted to say that every believer who knows the Bible should know that Jesus res- was resurrected. His body was absolutely resurrected, and his body ascended all with the bones, <laughs> everything. It went back to heaven. There, there are no bones. And the other scripture, I think it's in Peter, first or second Peter or, or um, Hebrews. I'm not sure which. 
it talks about there was no decay ever in his body, ever. So, you know, when Peter and Mary and all of them went to the tomb, the body was gone. The napkin that covered his face was there. His body was gone. He was completely, absolutely resurrected. There are no bones. There was no casket. The tomb was empty, and it's still empty. Hey, and thanks. Thank God for that. <laughs> hey, that's mm-hmm. the message, Charlene. Well, let's hear old Cameron one more time. I've never doubted uh, that there was a historical Jesus that he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but the simple fact is that there's never been a shred of physical... All right, that's enough of James Cameron right there, director of Titanic. He says there's not been uh, physical evidence, but there has been evidence. And by the way, that's how we evaluate historical truth claims. You know, there have been five skeptics that I know of historically have, have, have looked at the resurrection. Lou Wallace was an agnostic. He ended up writing Ben-Hur. He got saved, looking into the evidence for the resurrection. Frank Morrison wrote the famous book, Who Moved the Stone? A British journalist. Uh, Josh McDowell, a skeptic, did his master's uh, research on this topic, ended up writing the book More Than a Carpenter. Simon Greenleaf, the Simon Greenleaf School of Law, Harvard University, wrote a thick volume, The Testimony of the Evangelist, comparing the four gospel accounts of the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. He came out a believer. And then, of course, Lee Strobel. Uh, you can get this book today in the Christian books bookstore, The Case for Christ. He was a skeptic. He was an agnostic. He was an atheist. He looked at this objectively and came out a believer in the end. He expected to confirm his atheism. He looked at the claims of Christ, including the resurrection. He became a believer. Of course, in the book of Acts, we are told this, and we should believe it, and we can take this to the bank. Acts chapter 1 puts it this way. This is very important. We are told, He presented himself, Jesus, alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. He was seen by them for 40 days. We know in 1 Corinthians 15, he was seen by hundreds. Of course, C.S. Lewis, the great Oxonian, also said he was dragged kicking and screaming to Jesus Christ intellectually by the Holy Spirit when he studied the claims, the life and the work, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The case for Christ is strong. Contra Cameron. Tomorrow, Al Gore's energy bill, 20 times the national average. We'll talk about it. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.